Welcome to Simply Faithful. It's good to have you joining us. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor of Kishwaukee Community EPC near Rockford, Illinois. My name is Gray Ewing. I pastor New Valley Church in central Phoenix, Arizona. And this is a place where we try to have Christian conversations without the hype, where we sit down and talk with each other about different topics that are connected with faith and life, sometimes ministry, but things that help us understand what it means to live for and follow Jesus in our world. And we are very glad to have you on that journey with us today. You could really help us out by leaving a rating or a review on iTunes uh, in particular or anywhere that you might be listening to this. We'd love to have that and any kind of review. We'd love to, to read from you. In addition, we're putting out a special request. We are talking about doing another question and answer episode and would love to solicit questions from you, our listeners. And so if you would like to go on Facebook to our Facebook page or email us, we would love to hear your thoughts on some questions that we could potentially answer. This week, wisdom. So, Gray, I want to have a conversation this week that really stems from this tension that I notice a lot of Christians seem to have. They have the sense that they want to live biblically, that they want to obey Jesus and live in this biblical Christian way in every area of life. And that is great. That is where you want people to be at. But I notice that they often get stuck because their expectation is that living biblically means that there is some simple set of rules or this sort of binary one and zero kind of set of yeses and nos that dictate every action that it's really easy to see. So I'll often have people come to me and ask me these very specific questions, thinking that there is just some Bible verse that I can quote to them to give them the answer. And it's not that simple, I think. The reason for that is because in scripture, while we are called to obedience, there's also this whole category of things called wisdom. And wisdom is what I want us to talk about today, to try to just get our heads around defining what that is in scripture and then thinking about what it looks like to actually live wisely as Christians in our world. I'll maybe spoil it up front, right? We can dig into the details. But if someone just asked you at a basic level, what is wisdom? Biblically speaking, how would you define it? Yeah, absolutely, Eric. I'd love to define it for folks. Let me just first say, though, that I think that wisdom, to your point, is occupying this space that I don't think people often associate with traditional Christianity. But wisdom is the tradition of, of the scriptures, and historically speaking, is a huge part of the faith. But I think that most people think that the Christian faith amounts to some level of doing, on the one hand, commands to follow, as you mentioned, laws to obey, or on the other side, believing. So not doing commands and such, but having something in your heart that you believe in. But this whole idea of a wisdom tradition where we're actually following in the footsteps of others and learning and figuring out what God might have us do in individual circumstances, I think sits awkwardly with a lot of modern Christians. So wisdom in a nutshell, I'd say, is the practical way to live in specific circumstances of your life that brings glory and honor to God. So it, it's not so much the straightforward commands of Scripture, but it is using Scripture and others around you and other things that I'm sure we're going to unpack to bring a skill level to your living that reflects a godliness. Yeah, no, that's helpful. If it's maybe helpful to people at a more imagistic level, I often think of wisdom 
sort of like jazz or a sort of improvisation, which again, I think makes people feel really uncomfortable when you talk about Christianity. But the thing about it is to recognize that when you think about jazz, if you are a trained musician, you realize that it is not the case that you can just play anything you want, right? A jazz musician, while they're improvising, is not just making up random notes. The The fact is that there's all of these structures in place in terms of scale and time signature and the way that certain notes naturally lead into certain other notes and chord theory. There's all this stuff that's in play in the background of improvisation that really dictates what good improvisation looks like. I remember once hearing this jazz musician commenting that really what he's doing when he's improvising is figuring out the right note to play and then playing that note based on that very specific moment in which he's playing it. And I think that something like that is actually much closer to how wisdom functions in the Christian life and frankly how the Christian life on the ground often feels. Because while there are times that biblical commands, you know, like if I'm thinking about murdering someone, okay, do not murder. Got that, right? If I'm thinking about stealing from somebody, okay, I shouldn't do that. But then when it's like, love your neighbor, I'm left with a sense of like, well, how? What, what am I supposed to do? And you have to start improvising even in the context of those commands. And wisdom has a lot to do with how you improvise well. Yeah, that's right. When you look at any of the scriptures, really, there's an element of surface level obedience to them. So you might love your neighbor in some very specific ways. But as Jesus himself points out, the depth of the law goes way down to the heart. So how you might love someone, how do you how you might not hate them or act in a, in a way that would be beneficial to them really runs the gamut. I also think about uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where we talk about love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy or boast. And you get the sense that Paul could just keep going, he could just keep listing attributes because love looks different in different situations. It has some common characteristics. It has a faithfulness to it, but it also has a depth that can't be easily written about or captured with even a book as big as the Bible. Yeah, the way I think about it is that you have especially these negative commands that people fixate on about stuff you're supposed to avoid. And those are real and you should obey them. But really, they're just saying like, in the world, there are these certain pits that you might fall into. And so these are going to build fences around those pits to keep you from falling into these particular pits. But then wisdom is actually discerning, given what scripture says positively, what is the best way to actually walk through the world beyond just not falling into the pits or falling over the fences. So with that said, I think I want us to kind of focus in and try to define, especially biblically, what we mean by wisdom. And so I'm going to just give you, Gray, what I think you could sum up wisdom as in Scripture, which is a combination of knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of the world, and knowledge of self. But I want to kind of take each of those ideas that I think are there and invite you to jump in and define in dialogue with them. So first of all, knowledge of the Lord, right? Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we all want to say that when we're talking about wisdom biblically, there's this particular Godward direction that it has and this sense that it needs to be Christian wisdom in particular. What is going on there? How does that affect the idea of being wise? Well, I have a question about that, Eric, actually, because I think... Maybe it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about what knowledge is and what wisdom are. Are those mutually exclusive things or are they the same thing? To have knowledge is to have wisdom. Certainly in scripture, knowledge 
is, as is often pointed out, something that's deeper than just head knowledge. So when knowledge is a, a shortcut for talking about sexual intimacy, for instance, in marriage, knowledge of the Lord here is, is obviously something more than knowing that he exists. Uh, even the demons know that he is, exists, but they, they tremble, the scripture says. So it's something more than surface level understanding of something. So how do you understand knowledge and wisdom? Do you think that they're the same thing or do you think that there's overlap between them? The way the scripture uses the words, I think that they're basically the same thing. I know that there is some debate about this, but the reason for that is that head knowledge is a very particular notion that frankly, for most people, for most of history, wasn't really a thing because I think we tend to associate it with theoretical or academic knowledge. But the truth was that like the sort of knowledge you would have as, say, a farmer, right? You would admire someone with knowledge because their knowledge actually helped them know how to wisely navigate through the world, right? Understanding like seasons and weather patterns and how different plants grew was eminently practical. And so absolutely, when we talk about knowing the Lord and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which is technically how most versions translate Proverbs 1-7, yeah, it's, it's interested in something that really includes both what we think of as knowledge and being wise in the ways that we use it. Do you disagree or what do you think about that? No, I agree with you. And maybe to make the water even muddier for just a second, and I am going to get to what your question was, but I think to introduce a third term that's biblical is instruction. So there, there's this idea of instructing children, for instance, in Deuteronomy 6 about the story of redemption, about telling them what happened with them coming out of Egypt. Instruction is also something that the Proverbs talk about a lot. I do think that Israel in the Old Testament had a basis of knowledge that was contained in such things as certain Psalms. You can even see it in like Psalm 119 is ordered in a uh, acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, for instance, for memorization purposes. I do think they had a body of knowledge that they instructed people in. And then from that, though, there arose this wisdom tradition or knowledge tradition so I do also believe that those are mostly synonymous when they are used in Scripture. It's also worth noting that the idea that we talk about with knowledge of sort of knowing something but not putting it into practice, which is what I think people critique as sort of head knowledge, that can totally happen with wisdom too. Solomon is actually the perfect example of that in Scripture, who wrote the book of Proverbs, who is given the supernatural wisdom from God. What seems very evident from the way that Solomon's story plays out in Scripture is that he is wise in that he recognizes the right course and what the right choices are. And then he regularly just chooses to behave unwisely. But his problem isn't that he lacks wisdom in that he's ignorant of what he ought to be doing. It's just that he chooses not to listen to wisdom. And you get that kind of sense of wisdom and folly are pictured as these two kind of alluring figures in the book of Proverbs, each trying to lure you to walk in their way. That's a really interesting distinction. I think you're, you're dead on with that. And when Solomon chooses wisdom, he, he chooses the better path when God approaches him what he wants, and God gives him both riches and wisdom. That doesn't mean that his life was set up for uh, ease and comfort and actual obedience all the time just because he knew what was going on. And I think that's really key when you, when you talk about the element of wisdom being related to a fear of God. Because that's, that's something that is always intertwined with it. There's an element to it that's you have this relationship with God and your life is God word. So that means you are doing things that are wise and wise is defined as leading you towards his aim, his purposes, uh, his work in the world, rather than even doing things that on the surface are quote unquote smart, 
maybe like making a business decision that brings you a lot of money, but it may be the business that you're doing has a different aim and it takes you off course from the Lord. That's not biblical wisdom because wisdom is always tied to an upward relationship with God. Yeah, I want to focus in on that last thing you said because I think it's really important. Wisdom in the abstract is really just sort of like the skill of living well, I think, both in Scripture and other places. And what makes Christian wisdom unique is that it assumes that the best sort of life that you are living is one both in relationship with God and within the bounds of the moral commands that God gives. And so there are enormously wise people. I think scripture often uses the word shrewd to speak of such people in the worldly sense who are very good at accomplishing things, but those things are not done in service to the Lord or bounded by biblical morality. And so they wouldn't be understood as wise in the biblical sense. So you go read like Machiavelli's The Prince, and there's a great deal of worldly wisdom there about how to conduct oneself politically, but because it's divorced from questions of behaving morally, a great deal of that we would look at and say, I don't know that as a Christian, that's really how you should think about like leading people, for example. All right. So that's knowing the Lord, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's one element of it. And then secondly, there's also sort of knowledge of the world that comes into play biblically when we talk about wisdom, which is to say that wisdom includes knowledge of stuff other than just theology and biblical ethics. Do you agree with that, Greg? What are the kinds of things that you th- that you would see included in that in Scripture? Yeah, let me take it closest to home and then furthest to field, in a sense, because even when you look at the Scriptures themselves, you look at the wisdom tradition, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, or the Proverbs writers, often Solomon, they have an interest with the natural world. There's kind of a naturalist bent even within the scriptures themselves as they go out and observe nature. They see animals acting in certain ways and they draw conclusions about the way the world works based on the environment that they're in. And so even in the scriptures themselves, we have evidence of people taking what God's world is and applying it to the human knowledge or human wisdom for specific situations. And then you see the with the tradition of the church, somewhat of a rocky relationship with scientific discovery and such, certainly, and that's not the topic of today, but this growing body of knowledge that the world is full of good things and we can discover it. And the best of Christian tradition is the ones who take that tradition and rightly try to understand the world so that we can see all the wonders that God's created and then how we fit into it. Yeah. So it includes even scientific knowledge and things like that. I would say that By the world, we're talking about a lot more, though, than even just science, although that's a piece of it. But it means a lot of other things, too. It means things like how human beings work. It means understanding our culture. It means understanding the specific situation that you're in. For example, so one of the questions that people often ask about the book of Proverbs is why there are Proverbs that seem in tension with each other or even contradicting each other. And probably the most famous example of that is from Proverbs 26, where Proverbs 26, 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. See, the Bible is full of contradictions. See, we can't trust it. (laughs) The point, of course, of those Proverbs and them being put side by side is to say that sometimes wisdom would say that if a fool is saying foolish stuff, 
you should not enter into it. And other times it's saying you should enter in and actually sort of use his own foolishness to show him his folly. And then you ask the question, well, what makes the difference? And the answer is the second half of each of those verses. The first verse says you don't do it lest you be like him yourself. The second verse says, you do do it, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so what it's saying is you're making a judgment call about whether you think it's possible for him to see his error. And you're making a judgment call about whether you think you're going to get dragged down into the mud with him. And it's on the basis of those kinds of judgment calls about that situation that then you choose which of those to do. So what you're saying, Eric, is that you're a postmodernist and you believe that every situation has a judgment call element to it and that we basically can shape the truth to be whatever we want it to be using the book of Proverbs. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think of myself as a non-modernist, but no, not at all. (laughs) Well, I'm just imagining the gentle, the gentle listener out there that's saying, okay, there's these situational things, but I'm used to hearing about the truth and you guys are simply faithful podcasts. You're, you're always talking about, here's what the scriptures teach. And introducing this element of situationalness can seem alarming to someone who's wondering about the consistency of the truth. Don't you think? It, it, it can. And I want to be sympathetic to that, certainly, in the sense that, that there is a sort of modern relativism that is obviously deeply anti-Christian and is something that we would want to reject that refuses any morality. But the problem is that actual obedience lived out in life is almost always a lot fuzzier than I think a lot of people would like it to be. And you need to recognize that or else you will do great harm in the world. Let me just try to give you the the classic tension. People talk about this tension between speaking truth and speaking love. And I don't actually love the way that that's framed. But we all know what they're talking about, right? There are moments where someone is making a bad choice and you need to look them in the eye and say, you are being an idiot. Stop that. And there are moments when someone is making a bad choice and you need to just let it slide and be loving and and support them in relationship. And both of those things are true. And you see Jesus treat different people in different ways, right? And throughout scripture, you see these sort of those tensions that exist. And the key thing to recognize is that if you do either one of those things all of the time, you will cause a lot of damage in the world. If you just go around speaking truth in this sort of blunt way to everyone, some person comes to you tearfully confessing this thing that they've done that they feel guilty about, and you're just like, that deserves hell, you sinner. You're going to do huge damage to that person. Likewise, if somebody is living in sort of unrepentant sin, and you just never say anything, and you just pat them on the back and say, oh, I love you, man, that's going to cause huge harm to that person. You have to have a way of determining situationally how to act out of those different things. And wisdom is really the biblical category of determining which of those times you act in which way. That's right. And it assumes a level of personal knowledge of the scriptures, because you wouldn't be able to do those things, those two extreme examples you just said without breaking some other command of scripture, which is about being rude, for instance, or being passive, like in evil situations, both of which I could find other scripture passages that are not about the truth and love situation to support that. So it assumes some level of, okay, I'm steeped in this so that I have enough, I'm armed with information that the Lord has given me and examples that he's given me to bring to bear in this situation. Yeah. And just, there are a lot of decisions on the ground in the Christian life that actually require that kind of discernment. And again, that's why wisdom involves, you need to know what God commands, and you need to know God personally and be walking with him. But then you also have to understand the world and have real insight into what's going on there. Maybe just one other example of that, just 
it's something as simple as saying different people receive love in different ways, right? And so my friend KJ and my wife, both of who I've spoken to recently, if I tried to express my love for one of them in the way that I do to the other, they would feel unloved. I have to kind of understand them as people to understand how arguing with my wife about ideas is not a way to express love for her. <laughs> and whispering whispering sweet nothings to KJ, it's not going to get you very far. No. <laughs> <laughs> although, although imagining his response to that, we both know him, it is quite amusing. <laughs> right. Other thoughts about knowledge of the world, Gray? Yeah. I mean, it, it's in everything, really. It's in finances would be another example that the scriptures talk a lot about saving and being wise with your money. But also we are free in these instances to think about, well, in this modern context, given my paycheck, given the way the taxation system works in America, like what what's wisdom here? What's enough to live on? What should I give away? These are types of wisdom questions that, that come into play. Things about health and should I do this natural treatment? Should I use the more uh, scientific method? You know, these are things that come into the realm of Christian liberty, and really the scriptural principle of wisdom applies to them. In this circumstance, what might God be leading me to? And he, he can use you can use things in the world and in the scriptures. Yeah, that comment on Christian liberty is actually really important. There's all sorts of issues that we stress are kind of debatable issues for Christians to determine. Things like how exactly to parent or educate your kids or questions of dress or diet or health or different things like that. And the thing to recognize about those issues of liberty is that it is not the case that Scripture doesn't speak to those things at all. Scripture actually speaks a great deal to say how we parent. But it's to say that the particulars of how we work that out, like whether our kids go to public school or private school or homeschool them, or whether we discipline them in this way or that way, a lot of that actually has to do with understanding our world and our kids and the choices available to us and the situation of our family. And that's actually what makes it an issue of liberty. You need to seek to be wise given your circumstances and make the wisest, most God-honoring decisions you can. But those aren't going to be things that you can then cookie cutter over onto everybody else. It obviously gets tricky. I mean, when you think about the world and sometimes submitting, for instance, in the school debate, which is a contentious one that I don't think we should wade into, but there can be a real sense that, well, if the aims of that school or the aims of the educational system, uh, for instance, are not towards God, then how can we say this is a wisdom issue when it's actually maybe at the heart of biblical uh, a life for a child to have a biblical life? What would be some of the distinctions that you would make, Eric, to counsel somebody, whether this is like a wisdom issue or a, or it's actually a biblical issue? I feel like every situation is unique. But let me just speak to that one very concretely in terms of my life, because we have had to shift from homeschooling our kids, which is something we were passionate about doing, now sending them to public school. And the reason is because I have to work full time and my wife has cancer. And I would just say, like, that's a good example of there's a set of situations in our life that have changed such that it is not possible for us to homeschool anymore, um, at least not if I love my wife and want to care for her. And so the math, which for us led us to one conclusion before, as those situations changed, has now led us to make a different conclusion. And then I want to add one more knowledge, Gray. You can react to this as you want. This is the one that I think some people would regard as squishy, but I do think there's a biblical sense in which it's true. I also think there's a sort of proper knowledge of self, which is a part of wisdom. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, you're getting all Gwyneth Paltrow on me, Eric. The knowledge of self, that, that kind of reminds me of a treat yourself and understand yourself. And uh, does that relate to the, to the biblical world? Not in that sense. I don't think it does. But I absolutely agree that knowledge of self is important. But tell me what you think it means. 
Well, I think it means a couple of things, but let me give actually the biggest one and the biggest reason I think that this needs to be included on the list, which is a thing that you actually see recur a lot, both in the book of Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, the importance of understanding our own hearts and their deceitfulness, which is to say a big part of wisdom is actually recognizing our biases and blind spots and the ways that we can even lie to ourselves and being able to discern through those lies that we tell ourselves. Yeah, 100% agree. That knowledge of self arises from scriptural analysis of the heart. It can also be something that you recognize as a family pattern, for instance, noting that your family has struggled with certain things and you have those same tendencies towards anger, towards a certain kind of addiction or whatever it might be. And knowing that that's going to affect the way that you live in the world, it's going to affect how you see the world. So therefore it becomes a wisdom issue. I also think there's a sense of just like understanding the effects that our choices have on us that is an important piece of the knowledge of self in terms of wisdom biblically, understanding our limits and our inclinations and kind of what we can handle in different situations and understanding the ways that when I particularly do something or have something happen to me, this is how I tend to respond. Some people in the face of confrontation become conflict avoiders and other people turn into sort of bare knuckle brawlers and there's sort of sinful dangers in both of those tendencies. But understanding what your tendency is, is really important, I think, in those situations. Yeah. And not even skipping over some of the more obvious or on the nose ones in scripture, like if you're reckless with your money, you will be poor. And other examples like that, Eric, where it's just obviously wisdom would lead to a certain kind of outcome. If you speak this way to someone, they will likely respond this way. Or if you're deceitful about something, you'll be found out. There's just some truisms that affect our self. Yeah. And then I also think that wisdom speaks to sort of habits that help us cultivate virtue and shape ourselves in different ways. I mean, you, we talked last week about these questions of psychology and you asked about all these questions of sort of practical, like stillness and different things that you'll find kind of in modern popular psychology. And wisdom is the place I think where you can engage with some of those things. I think one one of the things that's hard about that for me, and actually I got a lot of clarity last time we talked about that, because in some ways it's hard for me to separate like what I do as a pastor, as a leader in a church setting from what I might encourage people to do outside of that setting. In, in my mind, they should be kind of the same. Like what we do in church is what you do in your home is what you do in your heart. And yet there are some distinctions there. So in other words, maybe some of these things aren't properly... Uh, done inside a church or as an official ministry, but they could be a totally wise decision for someone to engage in uh, on their own. Sometimes I think we need to recognize that there are certain contexts where the liberty issues or the convoluted nature of the dangers of a given thing might not be appropriate for a public setting, for instance. Yeah, you don't want to universalize conclusions of wisdom. You can certainly speak to wise principles, and that's what scripture tends to do. But there's a reason that you do end up with those situations where you're like, man, I feel these competing principles in play. And that's because you're going to have to sort it out in this moment as the particular person you are. And the danger for pastors is when they take those conclusions and then just sort of try to universally teach those as biblical commands rather than teaching the principles that are in play and then helping people to wisely move towards their own conclusions for their specific circumstances. All right. So, Gray, we have covered a lot here. And I don't want to spend as much time on these last two questions. But first, 
Before we ask a very practical question, I just want to ask, we've been talking about this, and in the background, we've mentioned these books of wisdom literature, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs, maybe, and some of the Psalms, they get categorized as wisdom literature. And there's some people that also include things like the book of James, for example, as having a lot of that in play. Do you want to maybe just say a few things about, like, as Christians seek wisdom and engage with those books, some ways they can do that helpfully or some pitfalls to look out for? Yeah, I would say the first thing is don't read wisdom literature like you read all the other parts of the Bible or any other part of the Bible, necessarily. So when we're in a narrative section, something like First Kings, Samuel, or a gospel, we tend to read those things quickly and for a broad-shaped story form. But when we come to the wisdom literature, it's a chance to slow down. You give yourself permission to not necessarily like read a whole chapter just because it's a chapter necessarily. And you really learn to chew on and meditate on the wisdom and, and start applying it right away. It's not so much information that needs to be gained by a reading of it. It's a situational thing that you need to bring your life into so that it matches the wisdom of that proverb. And so I, I think we're invited to read slowly. We're invited with more memorization as I mentioned, some of them even invite that specifically with acrostics and that kind of thing. And so it's a different way of reading. Yeah, finding things that strike places in your life and then chewing on them is good. I'll also give, this is sort of the seminary set of warnings, but Proverbs, especially in Scripture, are neither commands nor promises. They're not commands, meaning that it's not the same as thou shalt not murder. And they're not promises, especially in the book of Proverbs. You get a lot of these train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Or, you know, work hard and you will you will have wealth to support you. And Solomon is not in denial about the fact that life does not always work out that way. And those are not promises from God that if you work hard and save your money, that there's no possibility that the economy could collapse or some con artist could rob you or something like that, right? It's not a divine promise in that sense, but rather it's a general principle about the world, which is that on aggregate, people who work hard and save their money are going to have more money than people who don't work hard and spend all of their money. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, Eric, is that you're going to find a mixture of things in these books of wisdom. You're going to find some positive things. You're going to find some challenging things. You're going to find some negative things, especially like when you think about Job and his his life experiences of the Lord allowing Satan to mess with him. And I would say allow yourself to go into the shape of wisdom in all of those books, meaning you're not just... You're not just focusing on the ones that help you, you know, kick rear end in business or something like that. You're actually going into the into the blue places as well, wrestling with things. Because life is full of, of both of those things and wisdom does not prioritize one over the other. In fact it engages with both. Yeah, go into the blue places and also if you're reading the Song of Songs, kind of the purple places. But <laughs> one last question. All of this we have said kind of theoretically. Very practically then, Gray, how do we kind of condense all of this down to say, what are some ways we can practically grow in wisdom? Listen and subscribe to Simply Faithful Podcast. (laughs) The first and best way to grow in wisdom. By that introduction, of course, I mean, we need to be listening to God's word. We need to be engaged with the scriptures and the people that God's placed in our life, our pastors, our professors, the books that we read. We need to be submitting to those and listening, especially when things rub us the wrong way, where it's a different perspective than what we're used to. That's often the place where wisdom comes in. It's in those places that it's like, well, I thought it was going to be like that. But now I'm seeing that another 
faithful believer sees it a different way? And where could there be some wisdom there? Yeah. And connected with that, ask God too, is one of the first things we should say, right? James 1.5 famously says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I also think that one of the things that I just wish people would do more, Frederick Buchner used to have this great phrase, which was listen to your life. And I do think that a big part of wisdom is actually just paying attention to your life, your feelings, the decisions you make and asking like, why did I do that? Why did I respond that way? What's going on? And then looking at other people and saying like, why did they respond that way? What's going on? And I think it's so easy for us to be on autopilot, which is often the enemy of being wise and discerning as we engage with the world. Yeah, there's often a practice that I engage with that is very helpful, which is a, a review prayer for the day. And you look at your day, you review the last 24 hours, and you you hold up those things and you say, well, what needs to be repented of? What needs to be noticed? What needs to be grieved? You're watching your life through a prayerful lens that God is there. He is watching with you. And you can kind of acknowledge both the good and the hard. Yeah. And then another great source of wisdom is other people, uh, other believers. And I especially want to speak to one of the great tragedies of our day and age, our moment in the world, is the sort of generational disconnection that has happened. I recognize that we live in this really siloed world, but for almost all of history, the primary way that people learned to be wise was to go talk to older people who were wise and ask them questions about life in the world and then try to learn from that. And I'm not saying you're going to agree with everything that everybody says, but we live in this moment where we're so in love with like the new and novel and young, and we so often fail to kind of do the work of translation and listening and things. But I would really encourage folks to just seek out older Christians and then to intentionally ask, how did you do this? How did you handle that? The kinds of questions that are really seeking wisdom from them. I'll end it finally by just saying wisdom is the balm that we need in our world right now. Honestly, you look at the political ads that are running right now, you look at the division on social media, and there just seems to be such a back and forth and a this side and that side, and this is right and this is wrong. And of course, there are right and there are wrong things. But the spirit of wisdom that is captured by, say, the book of Proverbs is not very much on display in any of our dialogue right now. And so we can be people that embody that wisdom. Yeah, there's a spiral of folly where people kind of drag each other downwards that I often feel like I see in the world. On that cheery note, Gray, <laughs> let's talk about something that's actually cheery. Uh, it's also, I think, wise to just recognize that we as human creatures need to enjoy life and enjoy God's good gifts and give thanks to him. And so we always end our show by asking, what's good? What's something true, good, beautiful in the world that you've been enjoying, whether it's Christian explicitly or not? There'd be a great deal of wisdom in you going to your local grocery store and ordering from the meat counter pepper bacon. This is probably one of the best and most important recommendations I've ever made because it's a recent breakthrough that I made at Safeway local grocery store. I did not have as good of an experience at the other grocery store chain in town. So find the one that's connected to Safeway and, and do this. But I, I walked up to the butcher counter and I saw that the bacon that they had was the same price, like the same price per pound as the sealed bacon in the section that we normally grab bacon from. So I go and order the bacon. He's like, which kind do you want? And I see that there's an option for pepper bacon on a whim. I get half a pound of that and bring it home. And it is as though bacon did not exist before. 
It is as though I found the platonic form of bacon in the sky. Regular bacon seems like really old ham to me now that I've discovered pepper bacon from Safeway. Have you never just ordered like butchered bacon like that before, Gray? No, never. For years, I have done that. Ever since seminary, we used to go to this awesome Amish butcher shop and buy meat there. And there's a place here that I like to go. But yeah, the kind of bacon and other things that you can get from the butcher counter is often so much better than what you get prepackaged. I'll admit to being a little intimidated by that butcher counter for a little while, but I'm just, I'm just telling people in general too to I've been ordering more from there, and yeah, of course we've got other places around here too that when we're feeling like we really want the good steak or a good burger, we'll go to those places instead. But there is something very deeply satisfying you get about getting that butcher paper, that that brown paper and sealed up meat, and you're wa- walking out with this parcel that someone has prepared for you. But I would recommend, man, that that pepper bacon, somehow the pepper and the salt that they put in on that bacon enhances it so that it just tastes like bacon to the nth degree. And bacon was always amazing. You'll have to try like maple bacons and, you know, some of the different other varieties that you can get at butcher shops too. I'm a, I'm a big meat fan in general. There's a place near here called Countryside Deli and Meats that I often go to. And they have these ridiculous like half pound hamburgers with chunks of cheese and bacon in them and they you know they do all the like cut bacon and steaks and stuff and yeah it's good stuff yeah so the recommendation is to spring for a little little better meat in your life thanks again for joining us if you enjoyed this conversation there's a few things you could do that would really help us out most importantly keep this conversation going we would love to have so many people engaged with this grab someone grab a a drink at your favorite spot, hang out and talk about this and let them know about this podcast. You can also find us online at all the places you would expect. Most recently, we are on Instagram at Simply Faithful Pod. That's the handle there for Instagram, Simply Faithful Pod. You can also find us on Twitter at Faithful Podcast, Simply Faithful on Facebook, and simplyfaithful.org is our website. In all of those places, we'd love to see you. If you share something on there that's especially interesting, we might even talk about it in an upcoming episode. We would also appreciate a rating on your podcast marketplace of choice. And most importantly, we would love it if you shared this podcast with some friends who might enjoy it. We're super grateful for those of you that we've seen already sharing it. And we would just love to have more faces around the table. That said, until next time, I'm Gray. I'm Eric, and this has been Simply Faithful.